Unmasked, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. Today's episode is a bit different from usual. Normally we have two hosts on the show and one guest, but today we have two guests and one host. And also it just so happens that our two guests are also members of the GradCast team. Yay! So, <laughs> so I'll be your host, Chantal, and I'm pleased to welcome our guest, um, Tanya Negpal and Susan Anthony. So Tanya and Susan are here to uh, talk about nutrition and exercise during pregnancy. And we decided to bring them on the show together because they bring sort of interesting and different perspectives to the subject. So Tanya uh, is a PhD student studying uh, how, you know, people are able to adhere to some of the lifestyle changes you have to go through during pregnancy. And Susan is during pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> So we get some interesting views here. So Tanya, why don't we start with you? Can you give us a little synopsis of what, what your research project is, uh, is about? Yes, of course. Um, so my research looks at adherence to nutrition and exercise during pregnancy. Specifically, there has been a lot of research done to show that pregnant women should be living an active lifestyle and they should be eating well during their pregnancy. But now I want to understand, well, that's well and great, but how can we make it easy for them to do that? Mm. Um, they have a lot going on. So so how can we make it easy for them to actually follow nutrition and exercise behaviors? So that's where the adherence piece comes in. Mm. So my PhD work started out by looking at um, a systematic review. So basically looking at all the literature out there and bringing it together to identify if adherence is even important in the first place. Luckily, it's important. And then um, moving forward, um, we are to doing an intervention where we provide pregnant women with a nutrition and exercise behavior change program. One group gets both nutrition and exercise at the same time. Second group gets exercise first and we add nutrition. Third group gets nutrition first and we add exercise. So really seeing is one at a time easier than two at a time. And so that's kind of where we're at now. Um, and then my last bit of my work is also looking at the weight and health history of pregnant women and seeing if that has a contributing factor to how well they adhere to programs. Okay, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So for you, Susan... Uh do you exercise? <laughs> Are you a nutritious eater? Well, I think it's really, first off, important to say that I am at uh, 24 weeks. And so they, they measured it in weeks. So it's equivalent to about five months pregnancy. And I'm in what's called the second trimester. So generally, you know, pregnancy is around nine months, easily split up into three. So you have the first, second, and third trimester. And there's a lot of changes between them. Um, I... I guess I was a fairly active person and I really cared about what I ate uh, before I became pregnant. And I had this great thought that, oh, when I become pregnant, I have even more, um, even more reason to eat well sure. and to exercise and keep, you know, my body fit and keep me healthy and all these things. And then the reality <laughs> set in. <laughs> so do I eat well? Well, now I do. But for um, about weeks six to 12, so that's kind of uh, when you start getting sick, when the quote unquote morning sickness comes in, right. I basically lived off of some dry cereal, um, white bread buns, <sighs> and like gummy candies. Gummy candies. And, and, and flat pop. Wow. So really sugary things were the one of the only things that I found I didn't throw up. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, white bread worked great. So um, 
I'm sure Tanya can talk a lot about this and um, how, you know, emotionally I felt bad for myself but sure. uh, I mean if I tried a vegetable it would just come up <laughs> how, Tanya, how <laughs> common is that for women in that first trimester mm-hmm. period very common um, so in fact in our lab we only recruit women 12 weeks to 12 to 18 weeks um, and the reason for that in those first 12 weeks of pregnancy some women don't even know that they're pregnant Um, And so it's important for them to, you know, go through the medical checkups and assure everything is okay and ready for them to participate in an intervention. But also because women are just eating what they can keep down. Um, And oftentimes it is those unhealthy foods, those more starch-heavy foods or... Anything um, really processed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And the other piece is also in the first trimester, women are very, very tired. Um, to the point where you, you know, you, they can't get their head off the pillow. Mm. And so asking them to do something like, hey, let's go for a 40 minute walk. It's actually quite a challenge. Mm. Um, And I think it's very important for women to realize that it's totally okay. Every single organ in your body, every single hormone is doing something different. So, so does that mean that over the course of your pregnancy, the kind of like nutritional needs you have or the kind of exercise uh, that you should be doing is going to shift and change? Definitely for nutritional value. So I'm going to break one myth right here. The whole eat for two thing. That's yep. not true. <laughs> no, I know. I was looking forward to just, just eating whatever I wanted. For so in I fact, wanted. women actually only need about two to 300 more calories than before, which is almost a day. like, uh, yeah, a day, sorry. <laughs> a day, not a day. Pregnancy, right. in a day. Um, and so like that could be as much as like adding on a little bit more to your dinner, a snack, that sort of thing. And then um, in it, aside, putting calories aside, it's more important for women to try to eat smaller meals more often throughout the day versus three big meals. Um, And the reason for this is because as soon as you're pregnant, like I said, every organ is affected. Uh, But a big thing that happens is all of a sudden your body has more sugar in your blood, so more glucose. And the reason for it is because we want the glucose to go to this growing baby. And that's how babies grow. Um, And so your kidneys are magical and they basically decide, okay, I'm not going to take care of your sugar in your blood. I want it to go to your baby. And so now women if let's say you have a giant breakfast, what you've essentially done is you've peaked your sugar. They've gone up. And then now let's say you wait until lunchtime, you let your sugars crash, and then you eat again. Sugars spike. It's spike. So basically you've created a roller coaster of sugar. But if you had smaller meals more often, you kind of keep your sugars at a constant. Baby's getting the right amount of nutrients, and you're also not hungry. Um, And so it's more important for pregnant women to eat twice as healthy versus two times more. I see. Um, And so, like I said, it's only two to 300 calories more, and that's really up until the third trimester. So in that first trimester, there aren't specific, you know, you need to eat this more. It's more so focused on getting your vitamins, especially your prenatal vitamin. From the exercise side of things, um, based on what you did before, that kind of determines your exercise behavior. So if you were somebody that was active before, it would be safe for you to um, continue your behaviors, but of course modify them, putting safety first. Um, And then if you were somebody who was perhaps not active before, this is not the time to be like, I'm going to run a marathon. It's the time to make realistic goals for yourself. And again, safety comes first. And Susan, you mentioned you you were pretty active before you got pregnant. So what, what did that look like for you before? And how is it, what did it look like? What does it look like now? Um, 
It's it's actually funny because before a lot of my activity were, was necessity based. I would just bike everywhere and I'd walk everywhere and do all that kind of stuff. And I love that. Um, but, you know, I was always too busy to really think about being active for the sake of health. Sure. I just would fit it into my life that way. Um, then it almost <laughs> having that first trimester where I was on the couch and couldn't do anything was really hard psychologically. I was too tired to even think about moving. Um, but, you know, I also really missed it. And then we got into like winter months. So a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that I wanted to do, it was harder to do. But um, had it gave me um, it gave me a um, good excuse to take time out of my day. So it's not just for myself, which is probably the worst. I'm just gonna say, anyone out there, do it for yourself. It is so worth it because, like, my initial motivation is because you know I want a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. Ultimately, I'm feeling so much better. So I. I go to the pool or something for like uh, just a half an hour swim and then, you know, a shower. So that's like an hour out of my day once a week, maybe. And um, so I've changed my activities based upon the fact that, um, you know, safety first. So I'm not winter biking. Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not that I have a bike that was able to do that. But um, also I have some know joint issues and that it's common as well not usually not so early so I've been finding new activities that I can do and not only is this you know a benefit from what all the research says for you know my baby but it's as I'm writing my thesis and trying to finish that off it's been great for my own mental health so I'm like oh (laughs) this is actually really benefiting me and Now, you mentioned going to the pool, and this is something that I've heard before, that like swimming for women mm-hmm. during pregnancy is like a good thing. Is that like true? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially, it's because it's non-weight-bearing. So when you're in the water, all of a sudden, that extra weight that you have, it kind of disappears. You can float. Um, water running or even swimming um, mm-hmm. is really good for you. And so, yes, it's a very, very popular activity. Right um, now, I'm not big enough for me to feel that quite yet, but I hear yes. that, especially in the third trimester, that it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I definitely feel drag. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that you're 24 weeks in, and do you have a sense of how big the little thing inside you is? Well, I was told that he's, so he's apparently huge, uh, <laughs> but that's not surprising considering, you know, the parentage uh, um, he has. It's, it's going to be a boy. Uh, is a boy anatomically <laughs> right now. Um, and uh, here he's just over like one and a half pounds. Don't ask me why they use pounds for this, but they do. Um, and a lot of it, though, is like a shifting of organs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, my, me, myself, I've only gained like maybe 15 pounds, which it, it, it's a fair amount. But um if someone else were to gain 15 pounds, they wouldn't experience what I'm experiencing because I think we're just gaining it in one place. Okay. So I've got this weird shift in balance. Forward. Forward, yeah. So oh. I noticed once I had kind of like growth spurt, as it were, I had a little bit of balance issues. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm also having like hip and joint pain issues because I have to compensate for moving in, diff- in different ways. So, mm-hmm. And that's a, an education piece for women that 
your weight is shifting forward. So I'm sure everyone's seen that pregnant image of the woman holding her lower back and like creating like an S shape. Sure, That's yeah. actually really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it's, and women do it because they find moment of comfort, right? They're kind of using their back for that weight, but it could be dangerous for your lower, lower back. Um, so trying to shift your weight back to a neutral spine is very important. And I um, suppose that plays a role in why exercising during mm-hmm. all of this is really important, important because it helps you to find that new, I guess, new center for yourself yes and the balance piece of course and that's kind of why some exercises like bike riding um, or you know skiing (laughs) it's not recommended at all because your balance is not as it used to be Um, so it's important but like things like stationary bike riding or going for a walk or swimming those are all still perfectly safe activities Mm -hmm. and going back uh, for a moment to the nutritional aspect of it what are good foods to be eating Mm -hmm. so definitely smaller meals more often like I mentioned um, and trying to have complex carbohydrates so these are going to be not your simple sugars they're Complex carbs are the sugars that are found naturally in foods, so like in your vegetables, um, in your fruits, um, in whole wheat products. And so um, simple sugars would be things like your added sugar to your coffee or pop for example, or gummy bears. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't shame me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those are ones to avoid. But I want to add... Um, if you want, you know, your cup of ice cream or your dessert, it's not a no-no during pregnancy and you should not feel ashamed for having it. In fact, you could have it at the end of your at the end of your day, so after dinner, because you basically give your body your overnight time to go to sleep and let the sugars kind of metabolize. Um, and one of the things we educate our pregnant women in the lab is in the morning, if you can eat some source of protein, so peanut butter, an egg, that sort of thing, that helps your metabolism for the rest of the day as well. Mm. So it's not like you know, you can't ever treat yourself. So, yeah, you're doing a lot of work. Uh, so, Susan, are you, are you able to eat those complex carbohydrates now, like vegetables? Yes, I can. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I, I think about 12 weeks when uh, I, I ended up going on this anti-nausea medication because I was pretty much malnourished. Um, <laughs> and I ate... Uh, I think I eat like canned baby corn or something like that. And I was so happy about it. I was almost in tears and texting my partner like, oh my gosh, I ate a vegetable sort of. But um, but now it's almost like I can't get enough because I six weeks have not been able to eat anything. Like I remember trying to eat a kiwi and I was just like, nope, right into the sink. <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh my gosh, a kiwi. I'm, I'm so thrilled. And it's been so many weeks I've been fine, but I'm thrilled to eat those things. And Um, Yeah, hearing a lot of stuff. I mean, I think a lot of the diet suggestions that Tanya just mentions are kind of things you probably should think about doing anyway. Yeah, definitely. If we could all eat like pregnant women, we'd be pretty healthy. Yeah, and so I kind of like the diet that I'm on now because, like, right now I just say, well, I just have to do this until the end of, um, you know, the nine months. But I'm kind of like, I'm really liking how I feel. Um, and also, I like the idea of you don't ever, like, I, I'm not one of those people who say, just don't ever have sugar, because that's just never going to happen to me. Sure. Um, but if I can say, oh, if I want ice cream, I just have it at night. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> not so hard. Yeah, that's I can do so that. Hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Tanya, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your study and mm-hmm. your research, and because um, I understand that some of the work that you've been doing has had sort of an impact on you know, regulations nationally or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about 
Yeah. So I had a really cool experience uh, during my PhD to be a part of the update of the clinical practice guidelines for exercise during pregnancy. Um, They were (laughs) launched in 2018 in October. Um, And it was a huge project, uh, which brought together uh, researchers from across the country doing this work. Um, And I was fortunate to be one of the students on the project. And we did 12 systematic reviews looking at different maternal and uh, fetal outcomes and the impact of exercise on them. Um, And we got awesome results. So just to highlight a few, we found that exercise during pregnancy can significantly reduce the risk for postpartum depression, um, can reduce the risk for uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, even for fetal outcomes to help with baby's weight, baby's cardiovascular function. Um, So, so many different outcomes are benefited from moms being active. And we also looked at how active should moms be. So the overall consensus was essentially that pregnant women should aim to achieve 150 minutes of moderate exercise throughout the week, split up in the week. So that could be maybe a 30-minute walk every day, um, or it could be a 30-minute stationary bike ride, or maybe two 15-minute walks in a day. Um, And basically what it shows is as long as you're doing something, what that something is is best for you, it's good. It's going to help both you and baby. and yeah, it was an incredible experience and hopefully now we're sort of working towards getting those guidelines into practice and more people can hopefully meet them. That's fantastic. Now I want to ask one quick question about the um, about the the exercise, how much to exercise mm-hmm. and uh, and that sort of reality of the first trimester being a difficult one for energy levels or mm-hmm. ability to exercise and stuff like that. So is there are there certain portions during the pregnancy where you know, trying aiming to meet that 150 minutes a week goal is more crucial or less crucial or? I wouldn't say there's a time where it's more or less crucial. Okay. Um, those guidelines kind of, it, it's informs from day one till the end of your pregnancy. Okay. Um, we've definitely seen that in the third trimester, activity levels tend to decline. Um, mm-hmm for obvious reasons. Because yeah. um, you're huge. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not huge. <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, yeah, but um, ideally women can try to maintain the behaviors as best as they can. And mm. so, like I said, the first trimester is very challenging. Um, so there might be a day where you are able to go for your walk and then the next day you're kind of like, yeah. So just best you can. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, if I could say anything to anyone who's pregnant out there and worried about these things, um, forgive yourself for being tired Mm. because you are starting, your body's completely changing. And Mm. in a grand scheme of things, like I wasn't, I was unwell for six weeks. Now it was a long time when you're in it. I thought it would never end. It was absolutely horrible. Just going to let you know this reality of it. But um, once I started coming back, slowly coming back, um, you're back. And doing what you can is mm-hmm. what's important yeah. and because um, there's gonna be a lot of pressures on people oh, and whether or not they intend it or they're most people are very good intentioned when they say you know oh you know have you tried eating this and stuff I was like yeah yeah I have tried <laughs> um, I forgive yourself and just say the way you're, you're gonna do it you're gonna do it great mm-hmm. um, and do the best that you can Mm. And um, and you find you'll find also that you will also benefit, like you said, 
postpartum, all that stuff, and even just with aches and pains, mm-hmm. going to yoga, I've been loving for my pains because I go to prenatal yoga and they do all the proper stretches so you don't strain, you know, because your muscles are all shifted around. Like everything's weird. Um, and yeah, just be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, sometimes when we think exercise during pregnancy, some people automatically think of that woman who's running a marathon in her third trimester. Or was or, it Venus Williams who, like, won a championship yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's while not, three months pregnant? Yeah, and that's not what, what we mean by exercise. Exercise <laughs> is is doing what is best for you. So, like I said, if you, if you were, you know, a heavy weight trainer prior to pregnancy, maybe you can continue doing some resistance training, but you got to bring it down a notch, you know, lighter weights. Um, or you know, lighter weights, more reps and avoiding exercises that might cause trauma to the abdominal area, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, But if you were somebody who wasn't really exercising and you want to start exercising, you still can. And you can start at whatever place is best for you. Walking is magical. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure how much you can share about this um, uh, as you're doing your study right now, but for um, the the sort of participants that you work with, how how many of them, do you have ones that, uh, people who have sort of very little background in mm-hmm. exercising or nutrition or people who have more? Uh, what's your variance? I would say it, it varies for mm-hmm. sure. Um, they all do the same program while they're with me, uh, but they're not restricted from doing other exercises. And in fact, they have exercise logs, so I get to see that behind the scenes as well. Um, and I can take it into account when I'm analyzing my work. But definitely it's it varies from women who kind of look at the meal plan and they're like, yeah, Tanya, there's no way. Um, and then we work through it. And then there's some that are like, oh, I already eat like that. And basically, regardless of what level you're at, it's going to be beneficial. Um, so I have a fun fact to share with everyone that I think blows everyone's mind. Um, there is this new area of research called the Developmental Origins of Health and Disease, also known as DOHAD. And what- Oh, DOHAD. <laughs> so glad that was abbreviated. <laughs> yeah, so DOHAD. And basically what they have found is that what happens during pregnancy actually has a two-generation effect. So stay with me here, okay? Okay. So this saying is the egg that formed you was formed when your grandma was pregnant with your mom. And that's true, yeah. So I don't get it. Tra- yeah, I'm going to trace it backwards. Okay. So your grandma, she's pregnant, mm-hmm. and in her, her, she's pregnant with your mom. Mm-hmm. Your mom, who is currently a fetus forming inside your grandma, is forming egg cells. Those egg cells, one of those egg cells is you. Because when women are born, they have the egg cells Already when they're there. born. Yeah. Unlike wow. males, where their mm-hmm. sperm gets developed exactly. and die really shortly, our eggs, egg cells start off with us in wow. life. Yeah. So they've done some really cool research with animal models, and hopefully they translate it to humans soon, where they've actually seen what the mom does, so what grandma does, can have all the way up to a six-generation effect. That's incredible. And how they did this is basically they took a mouse, and um, they had her, her do different things. So they did one mouse where they gave her a really high-fat diet. Um, and so the baby that was born... Um, They looked at her mitochondria, so this is what builds energy for your cells, and they saw that the mitochondria was damaged. And now when she gave birth, the next generation mitochondria was still damaged, followed it six generations, and they see that it remains damaged. Now they've done a mouse who, um, we've come to that sixth generation, and they decide we're going to give this mouse a healthy diet, and then they all of a sudden follow it, and the mitochondria improves. So what they're able to see is that really what happens during pregnancy might be programming 
future impact, uh, future effects. In human models, they haven't done six generations because it takes long. <laughs> um, and um, what they have shown, though, is from uh, historical studies, so during the period of famine, they saw that women who experienced famine during their pregnancy, their children, um, when they were born, they were expecting famine. So their bodies were kind of designed that way to expect famine, but famine was gone. So now they're getting mm. food. And so those babies actually by age 50 experienced a higher risk of obesity and cardiovascular disease mm. because they were programmed for something yeah. and the environment didn't give them that. So Susan, have you talked to your mom at all about <laughs> uh, what her experiences were like? No, or I grandma. haven't. Well, oh, in, in some ways, though, I'm I'm kind of it's kind of. I'm off the hook because I'm having a boy. <laughs> so, they are doing research on sperm cells. I don't know much about it. Sorry. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very curious. Although, you know, it's always been, you know, and they say the old wives' tales, but those are anecdotal evidence. And they always say, you know, check back with your mom and how she was and her mom and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know how they feast or famine. I think they were all doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm obviously I'm biased, but I think pregnancy is the most magical time to implement some kind of change. Well, and and like like I said, it's like I feel like I was being um, uh, selfish to leave work in the middle of the day and for an hour. I think it takes me an hour, an hour and a half to walk to the gym, mm-hmm. go for, go for a like a almost a, like 800 meter swim, shower, and get back to work. But um, now I'm just like, no, I've got an excuse for it. Mm-hmm. But I feel great. And you're um, investing in the future. That's <laughs> true. But it's also like, you know, you should invest in yourself. Like, it, yes, you, I'm no longer, I'm not just a vessel for the next generation. Mm-hmm. I am also a human still. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is, yeah, all these, any implementation of a healthy ha- habit and healthy lifestyle w- will impact you yourself. Yes. And, um, and going on to the whole generational effect, there is some uh, evidence to show that you stress levels of women when they're pregnant gets tra- translated to, uh, or stress levels of women gets translated to their offspring via um, a way called a thing called epigen- epigenetics, which is uh, you have your your DNA, but you kind of cause different parts of the DNA to become uh, muted. So okay. although it doesn't, it's not a mutation; it's a mute. <laughs> I was trying to think of a clever word for that, but no, you, it's not like a mutation of your of the genes that you pass on to your offspring. It's just part of it gets muted and okay. it gets muted in the offspring. So your mental health is also not only you benefit in the short term, but it'll benefit the offspring. So again, I the push was to do it for the next generation, but it. I, I kind of regret not having done this before. <laughs> I really think I, what I really love what Susan has said a couple times is that, um, you know, it's also for yourself. And it's okay if you don't, um, if you're not meeting the 150 minutes. Moms shouldn't feel at fault. And, you know, I don't want grandmas to be like, oh, darn, I ate for two or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, we don't want the moms to feel blame. You should feel, you know, your body's going through a lot, lots of changes. Every organ, like I said, is affected. There's women who their eyesight gets better and they don't need to wear contact lenses anymore. So literally everything is changing. Um, So give yourself credit for just that and just do your best is really, really it. And then also utilize the resources that are available around you, your healthcare providers, exercise and pregnancy lab, all sorts of your peers and and everything. And just, yeah, it's a magical time. And and through uh, 
If you're a SOGS person there, um, I can get a lot of stuff covered from before I was pregnant, when I was trying to get pregnant, through like um, uh, people who could help me with fertility issues. OHIP, uh, the Ontario government, actually covers fertility treatments like in vitro and all, and all these other uh, more, I guess, less holistic, more mechanical processes that could help you. And then OHIP actually does provide midwives wow. for yeah. uh, non-complicated pregnancies. So I've got someone who I can kind of page if I have problems and she'll call me. So. Fantastic. Yeah. And for our listeners who might want to check out those uh, updated guidelines, mm-hmm. uh, where, where would they go for that? Um, so for the guidelines, you'd be going to csep.ca, so that's csep.ca, um, and they have the guidelines posted there, as well as the British Journal of Sports Medicine has all of the reviews. Um, and then for more information specifically at Western, it's the Exercise and Pregnancy Lab, so we are epl.uwo.ca. Well, Tanya and Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been fascinating. I'm happy to ha- I'm happy to have been able to be part of this discussion. Thank well, you. Thank, thanks so much and, for having us. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening. This has been uh, GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. Um, you can listen to us on CHOW Radio Western 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, you can also find us online at gradcast.ca. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. And if you're interested in uh, learning more about the show, uh, getting to know any of our committee members, uh, or potentially being a guest on the show, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great night. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.